0: Uh, the subject of new. Um, when Jesus Christ had the Last Supper, we all know this, this thing, the Last Supper, we call it, where he sat down and he had a meal. And If you weren't here last week, can I encourage you to follow on where we're going? Jump on the iTunes or the podcast thing and have a listen because I'm going to spend a, a few weeks, maybe months, building, 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 you end up in the wrong place on a journey by just being one degree out at a time. It's one degree. If I want to get to that door, but I just turn a little bit and take two steps and turn a little bit and two steps and turn a little bit, before you know it, I'm ending up somewhere I never intended to go in the first place. And I can't help but wonder, I wonder, I wah-wah, wah-wah wonder (laughs) whether Jesus is looking down from heaven having gone through what he did being sacrificed, being beaten, being treated the way that he was, hung on a cross and died for a purpose and a reason. I wonder if he looks down at the church today, and I'll say specifically in the Western world because I, this is where I live. I wonder if he looks down at the church in Geneva. I wonder if he looks down at a Christ church. I wonder if he looks down at me, and he goes somewhere along the journey. You group of people have one degree, and then you one degree. And then you've won DeGreed, and then you've won DeGreed, and now look where we're sitting right now. We're a part of what originally began as a movement. The church was not a group of people that that met in buildings. It It was a movement that didn't have a great time as they just gathered together, but had an impact when we dispersed, It was a movement that impacted society. It was a movement that impacted the world. It was a movement of people that took this message of Jesus, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. Our faith is based in an actual event, not a book. It's not Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, because I can go back 2,000 years to a moment in time and say this actually happened. Amen? Our faith is not based on a book. It's based on an event the resurrection of christ take away the resurrection and forget the book doesn't really matter doesn't really matter but if the resurrection did take place then that's why we take the book seriously because the resurrection was the event that gave birth to the movement that we call the church that gave us the book that we call the bible so take away the resurrection the whole thing falls down it's pointless for the first 400 years of church history they didn't have a bible they didn't have a book to go to yet they communed with god wonder what they did for a quiet time they didn't have a verse of the day what did they do? I don't know what they did. I wasn't there, but I've got a feeling they must have communed with God as if God was real, as if he was actually there, as if this event actually happened and they anchored themselves to that and said, it doesn't matter how I feel, what I'm seeing, or what's going on in the world around me, that happened. Therefore, God's real. Jesus is the son of God. I'm saved. I put my faith in that and everything else is secondary. What? You know? So we've been talking a bit about that moment, going back, looking at that moment. Now, When Jesus stood in that room, what we call the upper room, where we had the, what we call the Last Supper, and you read about it, Matthew, Mark and Luke, in, the, in, in their eyewitness accounts of that time and period of human history, in that book that we call the Bible. When you read what they had to say, And they sat around at this table and Jesus gets up. And again, because we're not Jewish, we don't fully get the implication. But imagine for a second, you're a Jewish person. You've been brought up in a Jewish culture. Your parents and your grandparents have passed down from generation to generation all the stories of the history of the Jewish nation, how you are God's chosen ones and only you, that God has an agreement with you. And here's how the agreement works. You know, if you do the right thing, I'll bless you. If you do the wrong thing, I'll curse you. Imagine for a minute, you're that person. You're sitting there, you're having this meal. And we're celebrating an event called the Passover. And the Passover, you all know about it because you hear about it every single year. It's, it's, it's one of, if not the biggest, most important feast on the Jewish calendar. Celebrating the Exodus, when God came down to us, when he heard the cries of his people, he came down and he got this man called Moses and led a whole nation out of slavery in Egypt. That's where we're about to celebrate when we sit down to have the Passover. We do it every week and we use the same verse and we call it communion. But the origins of what we do in communion is actually the Passover, the Jewish passover festival and jesus stands up and he goes everybody this is my blood of the new agreement do this in remembrance of me and they're sitting there going hang on a second what is happening here we've always done this for centuries in remembrance of moses and what he did in leading us out and what god did to deliver us and now you're saying in one moment all those years of history are going to be thrown out the door and from now on we're going to remember you It's almost like Jesus wanted to make everything about him. Go figure. From now on, everything's going to be about me. And then he makes this amazing statement. He says, This is my blood of the new covenant. New agreement. In other words, covenant, testament, it means agreement. Think of a will. It's a a decision, an agreement made between people. Under the old agreement, he had a certain set of rules and guidelines. This is how it works for you as a nation to be in relationship with me. And Jesus says, I'm cutting a new agreement from now on between God and man. No longer is it going to be God of one nation. God has a relationship with a nation and and, and the nation has a relationship to God. Now I'm going to become the God of all nations, the God of all people. We're changing the boundaries. Things are going to become radically different than what you have come to expect and come to know. This is what they're sitting there thinking. You've got to understand the impact that must have had at that moment. This is a new covenant, a new agreement. That word new in the Greek, I think I've got the definition there. If you can work it up on the board for me, that word new. It's the same word that was used when Jesus was teaching and they came instead, he's bringing a new teaching. It's the same word that he used in his new covenant. It's the same word used several occasions to talk about Jesus. It literally means this, recently made, fresh, of a new kind, unheard of, unused, unworn, unprecedented, uncommon. It sounds unreal. Hey? That's what it means. In other words, this covenant, this new agreement between man and God is going to be fresh. It's a new kind. It's not old covenant 2.0. Don't think updated version of the old. You've got to think the old is gone. This is totally brand spanking new. <coughs> Yet it makes me wonder. <coughs> it makes me wonder that. <laughs> Can you make me one? Just don't use that milk. <coughs> it makes me wonder. In 2019. Here I am, and I'm part of this new movement called the church. This new movement, the Ecclesia of God. <laughs> Not a group, a movement. Don't think group. Church and a group, we're a movement. We should be going somewhere, we're doing things, we're progressing. We're having impact. I'm, here I am in 2019, a part of this new agreement. Jesus is looking down, going, I'm drawing a line in the sand. It's a totally new agreement. But how much of that new agreement am I living in, and how much of my mentality and thinking is still way back over here In the old. In the last couple of weeks, we've touched on a few things about the old and the new and some of the mentalities and things. And I want to keep hammering, 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 hammering away at this because I want us to understand something. The focus of our faith is Jesus. We say that, we amen it, we all know it here, but how deeply do we know it down here? In other words, if Jesus was to disagree with somebody else, who trumps who? Who trumps who? Who's more important? Where do we get our theology from? Where do we get our belief structure from? What are we looking at for the boundaries of our relationship with God? What are we looking at to to, to root and ground our faith, to get our sense of assurance that, hey, we're okay with him, that he loves us? Where are we getting our cues and stuff from? And so I want to keep going down this pathway a little bit. And I want to take you from the upper room, and I want to fast forward to Jesus, crucified, buried, resurrected, spent some time with his disciples, and he stands before them, as a resurrected God, and he gives them his final curtain call, his final command. We know it. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. We call it the Great Commission. Now again, I want you to try to understand, try to become that Jewish person that's been brought up in Jewish culture, that knows the Jewish story, that has been trained in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law. I want you to try to think like that for a second and think how astonishing this statement must have sounded to those people. And Jesus came and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me. No longer Moses. Here we are at the Last Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of an old agreement we had. You did the wrong thing, you went into captivity, you did the right thing, I heard the cries of my people, I led you out. They celebrated that. Moses was the most important person in Judaism, apart from God himself. It was God, then Moses. Moses held a place of great importance in their religious worldview. And Jesus at the end says, here's the thing, all authority stands there at the Passover and he goes, no longer are you going to think of Moses, now you'll think of me. And then when he resurrects, he says to his disciples, all authority has been given to me. What do you mean by that? You mean you've got some and Moses still... No, no, no. No, no, no. This is a new agreement. This is a new time. It's a new season. I'm doing a new thing. No longer does Moses share... Moses had authority for a time. Now I have authority and not some. I have all authority now and it's been given to me by God. Can you imagine again? They're sitting there going, hang on, this... Tilt, tilt. This is way outside... The boundaries of the way I've been trained and taught and raised. And I can guarantee you now, some of the things I'm saying in the last couple of weeks, there are probably people here because it's challenging me. And I'm going, you know what, I've been a, a, a Christian since I was 19. And there's things that I'm seeing now that, that, that I'm reading going, hang on a second, I've been reading and looking at these things from a wrong basis, therefore I'm coming to wrong conclusions. And the church has a history of doing this. We're in a new agreement with God, a new season, a new covenant. Jesus stands up and he says, all authority in heaven and earth, all authority in heaven and earth, all of it has been given to me. And then he goes on. He says, go therefore make disciples of all nations. What do you mean? We're the Jews, we're the people of God. No, 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 all nations now. We're breaking the boundaries. Forget the old, forget it, get it out of your head. I'm doing something totally different now. The old agreement is over. We're in a new agreement now. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now get this next one. Teaching them to what? Observe what? All things who commands them. Go into all the world. Teach them all things that I... What's he doing again? It's almost like Jesus is just intent on making this whole show about him. What is it with Jesus? He wants everything to be about him. You mean you mean teach them the stuff that you taught us, maybe interpreted through the lens of most? No, 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 no. Forget the old. Forget the old. Don't go sticking the Ten Commandments up in the high schools. Why don't you stick the Sermon on the Mount up in the high schools? Why do you want to keep going back to the rules and back to the judgments? Why do you want to keep going back to a God that in the context of the new agreement between him and us doesn't make a lot of sense? They don't really gel too good, do they? Let me ask you a question. Why didn't you not want to drink my coffee? I'm serious. That coffee was brand new. It's good coffee. But the water was good though. That's two out of three ain't bad, surely. The, milk, the, the coffee was good. The water's good. The cup is clean. The spoon I used is great. It's just a little bit of bad milk. Just a little bit of off milk. Why? why? You know why you won't do it? Because you're smart. And you know, guess what? If I put that in my system, what's going to probably have most of an influence on me, it's probably going to be the old milk. I'm not going to mix the old and the new because they still come up with a bad result. Jesus said, I'm offering you something to- totally brand new, a new way of life, a new way of relating to me, a new way of becoming right with me. And yet how many of us are a little bit like the coffee we we. we We gravitate back and we want to mix the old in with the new. I'm surprised how much teaching and how many books, how much preaching and even some of the songs we sing that want to keep taking us back to concepts and ideas that come out of the the old. Now, I'll preface this because I'm going to go on from here now. Uh, Everybody sitting here, there's a, a plant there with stones in it and over this side is a plant full of stones. So if there's ever been a Sunday where you might be tempted to pick up a stone and throw one at me, I'm going to tell you it's going to be right now. It's going to be right now. I was going to wear a flak jacket just in case, but I don't have one. Go on a bit of a little bit of a journey here with me. Jesus is intent on making everything about him. But he started prepping them a long, long time ago. Matthew chapter 5, we know this is the Sermon on the Mount. And I've mentioned it for the last couple of weeks. Now I want to pull a couple of things out of it Jesus is intent on making this new thing about him this new agreement with him as the centre him as the focus not Moses not the exodus but Jesus and the cross are going to become the central themes this is what he's trying to say to his new movement it's a new thing go back to Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus starts prepping already see we, we don't notice it again we're not Jewish we, we, we don't kind of see this sometimes in our Bibles we just read it we read it like it's woman's day we don't stop. It's slowed down. We get a reading plan and we have to read a Bible in a year. Why? So we get to the end of it and we feel spiritual? because I read the Bible in a year? I'll guarantee you, most people in this room here, you have never even read the Bible start to finish your whole life. And guess what? doesn't matter. <laughs> it's not going to get you brownie points with God. It's not going to improve your standing before him. It's great if you can, but you know what? Probably a lot of the stuff we read too, we misinterpret. I'm just... Listen to me. My relationship with God's not; it can be destroyed by trying to read a Bible through in a year. No guarantee it's going to make me a better Christian or a better person, or I am going to get anything out of it. Because I am just—I am not saying there is nothing, something wrong with having a reading plan. I am not saying any of that. You have got to hear my heart. What I am trying to say here, okay? Jesus is the focus. Matthew chapter five, verse seventeen. Jesus says this. He stands up. I want you again to become those Jewish people sitting on a hill, listening to this teacher teach you. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to what? Say it again. What did he come to do? If I make a promise to you. I promise you that I'm going to come down from this stage and tap you on the shoulder. That promise is there. The promise is there. There's something now I've got to do. The promise it still stands doesn't it? Because I made a promise to you in front of everyone. I'm going to come down and tap you. It's a promise. It's a promise. It's still standing right now. It's still standing right now. That promise is still standing right now. There you go. I just fulfilled my promise. There's now nothing binding me or holding me because that promise has now been fulfilled. Let me tell you what fulfilled means. Fulfilled means this, to bring something to its intended end. To bring something to its intended end. What's Jesus saying? saying, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to bring it to its intended end. In other words, just like this milk here, the law had an intended end. When God set up this agreement between himself and Israel, it was never meant to be something that continued till the return of Jesus Christ. It was set up for a season, for a period, and for a purpose. And Jesus said, when I come on the scene, I'm not going to abolish any of that stuff, but I'm going to fulfil it. I'm going to bring it to its intended end. When God set up this system, this agreement, this this. this Uh, uh, treaty that he had between himself and Israel, this covenant agreement from the very day that he came up with this is how it's going to work he had in his mind an intended end and that intended end was when Jesus Christ came and became the final sacrifice, no more sacrifices for sin, that opened a door not just to a nation and a race of people but to every tribe, every nation every tongue, not on the basis of your performance on the basis of his grace it changed everything Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish it, but I came to fulfil it. Came to fulfil it. In effect, the law had a use-by date. The old agreement had a use-by date. And Jesus rocks up and goes, the use-by date is almost here. When he hangs on a cross, he says these words, it is finished. It's over. I didn't come to bring a continuation of an old. I came to draw a line in the sand of human history and something totally spanking brand new. I don't want my new movement, my church, to be an updated reflection of the old. It's something new, totally new. Now, stay with me. You might want to grab your stones. What is Jesus doing with this statement? He's prepping them. He's getting them ready for his final post-resurrection command, which we just read. All authority is mine. Everything's been given to me. Going to all nations. Now, why was Moses central to Judaism? Let me just give you really quickly five real quick things. Number one, he was the person God chose to lead him out of Egypt. Number two, he led them and he kept them alive for 40 years during the wilderness wanderings. This is Moses, right? Number three, this is the way they saw it. He brought them the Ten Commandments, the very commandments of God himself. He came down a mountain. Moses was the one that brought those laws to the nation. Not to mention the other 600 and something laws as well because they actually had a lot. These were just the basis. They had laws for everything. Number four, he spoke face to face with God. Exodus 33:11 tells us that Moses spoke face to face with God. It's not bad. <laughs> I'd be pretty impressed with that too. Number five, he was credited with writing the first five books of the Bible that in Judaism are the law, the Torah, all that they knew about God and their history that was held sacred and valuable to them Most of it came through the pen of this man, Moses. So Moses is right up there. Watch what Jesus does in his Sermon on the Mount. In other words, if you want to win, you don't go up against Moses. Fair to say? It would be like the NRL coming to the Gold Coast Titans who are coming dead last and saying, You've only got to win one game and we'll give you the premiership and you get to choose the opposition. You wouldn't say, I'll take on the storm. You wouldn't do it. You're not going to win. Or well, the roosters, of course, Jackie's saying. <laughs> you don't do that. Yet that's exactly what Jesus is about to do. It's exactly what he's about to do. Verse uh, 21, 22. Can you wake that up for me, Luke? You've heard that it was said of, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother, and he goes on and expounds. What's he saying? Moses said, but I say. Moses said, but I say. Verse 27, 28, it does the same thing. You heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say. Moses said, but I say. And he goes on for the whole Sermon of the Mount and he repeats this pattern. Moses said this, the most uh, listened to teacher, the most popular preacher in your movement of Judaism. He said this, but I'm saying this. He said this, but I'm saying this. Moses said, but I say. See the pattern? You go through and read it yourself. Moses said, but I say. Moses said, but I say. He repeats That pattern, once again, Jesus is getting their attention on the new, which is him, and off the old, which is Moses. He's trying to transition these people, going, you've got to realise that this is something new. It's not an updated version. What Jesus represents is the original intention and heart of God. What Moses represented was this interim period, this interim period before the Son of Man could come and give up his life for us. What Moses represented and what the law represented was a short-term, it was a band-aid. It never dealt with the main problem of the sin nature of humanity, it couldn't. The agreement between God and Israel was imperfect. And I'll show you that in a second. He goes through this pattern and he goes, Moses said, but I say, Moses said, but I say. Can you see that? Am I making this up? Moses said, but I say, Moses said, but I say. Now, here's where you might want to grab your stones. I want to make a statement to you. I want you to put it up on the screen for me, Luke. I'm getting ready for the body blows. All scripture, all of the Bible, Genesis through to Revelation is equally inspired, but it's not equally authoritative. It's equally inspired. It all came by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but it's not equally authoritative. This is what Jesus is saying. Moses said, but I'm saying. Moses said, but I'm saying. Moses said. Moses is speaking into a time, into a nation and a culture that had this agreement with God that went along these lines. God looking down upon them saying, you do the right thing, I will bless you. You do the wrong thing. What? I will curse you. Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30. Go and read it. Galatians talks about the curse of the law. We're free from the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? It's that if you screw up, God will curse you because it's a performance-based relationship. It's not anymore. It's not anymore. The stuff I read about in the Old Testament, now hear me in this. How many of you have ever done this? Here you go. A lot of you have raised children. It's Father's Day. I've raised kids. And let me tell you something, I've never done it. How many of us have ever taken this book and said to somebody this is a bible here you go kid but i want to explain something to you just so you don't get confused there's two parts in this thing we made that up an old and new testament that wasn't something the original church had they didn't have an old and a new they had a bunch of letters they weren't compiled to 400 years after the church began and then somebody thought what a great idea let's stick them all together in a book but right now we've got this book And the lion's share of this book is under the title of an old agreement. Now let me explain to you what the old agreement is. That is the old agreement, they are the rules and the laws and the history and so on of a nation that has a works-based relationship with God. That was for a time and a season and I can learn a lot of stuff historically about that and I can learn and see how people's lives were impacted and so on by different things. I can get principles and stuff out of it, but please don't go to the Old Testament to find your theology about your relationship with God. Because it's different. Have you ever done that with your kids? Have you ever done that with anybody else? How could a God of love kill a whole nation? You ever hear that sort of stuff? And then we try to come up with some theological reason as to why. We try to blend the way God was in the old with the way God is in the new. When the simple fact is this. God had a particular agreement with a nation of people in the old. There was a particular agreement that they agreed to together. It's like this. If you rob a bank right now, if you walk out of church today and you go and rob a bank, guess what's probably going to happen? They're going to find you and you're probably going to do 20 years. Okay? Now, you, you wouldn't sit there. None of us would sit there and go, oh, that's so unfair of the government. Our government's so unfair. Can you explain a government to throw somebody in prison for robbing a bank? Can you explain that to me? Yeah, actually, I can. Because the citizens in that nation know that if you rob a bank it's illegal and if you do that you'll probably end up in prison for twenty years. So if they choose to rob the bank on the basis of already knowing the court the consequences of doing that, then they get that. That's not weird. Israel knew what the consequences would be, they agreed to that type of a relationship with God. They agreed to it. Yeah, if we do the right thing, you'll bless us. If we don't, you'll curse us, yeah, yeah, we get it. We get it, we'll take you, God. And so we read about this nation up, down, up, down, up. They had a particular agreement with God. Aren't you glad that your relationship with God, the new agreement, is not performance-based? Aren't you glad that you can't work your way into the blessing of God or work your way out of it? Doesn't that make sense why sometimes bad things now happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? Anyone know any Christians and, and they're great people and they do everything right, but sometimes bad things happen, right? Well, the Old Testament, and the screams, well, what have they done? Wherever they've fallen short, there must be some secret sin in their life. Because God doesn't do that. God, Well, hang on a second, you're reaching back over here where everything was blessing and curse-based, performance-based, right and wrong-based. We love the old because it's packaged very neatly and we can kind of understand and work out everything that happens. The new is a little bit more messy. Jesus introduced a whole lot of grey where Israel had a whole lot of black and white. We love black and white. It's kind of safe. Whether we agree with it or not, black and white it's kind of safe. Grey is messy and scary and frightening. And guess what happens when you're standing in a grey space? You are confronted with the reality that you are not God. He is. He's God you're not. Jesus repeats this thing. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. All scripture is equally inspired. Hear what I'm saying. It all came through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but it's not all equally relevant to people in a new relationship with God in 2019. Can you see that? It's not all relevant. It's not all relevant. You want to reach back in. We want to reach back into the old agreement and we want to look at, 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 at the rules and things like that. See, I'm going to, I'm going to, if, you're, if, if I'm tweaking your interest a little bit, please keep coming back because I want to expand a bit more on this over the coming weeks, because I know it's for a lot of us it's probably something in here where you're going, that kind of makes sense, but I don't get it. Hang with us. Hang with us. Stick around. All scripture carries equal inspiration, but doesn't all carry equal authority. Jesus is saying, Moses told you this under the old agreement, but I'm saying to you it's different now. Uh, apparently, according to Moses, all, the, all that mattered was what you did who cares about the heart you can go right to the edge of the cliff just don't fall off that's what he's saying isn't he like think about it you've heard Moses say if you commit murder it's a sin you know and Jesus goes well what Moses is really saying was God's okay with you walking right to the edge of the cliff you can get angry and frustrated and bitter and twisted all those things that happen that end up in murder don't have to deal with it just don't do the murder Jesus goes, well, hang on a second. Now that we've dealt with the, 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 this new agreement is different. I'm not just so much focused on the externals now. I want to look at the heart. Under the old agreement, the Spirit of God would come and rest upon kings, priests, prophets. In the new agreement, my spirit comes and lives within In the old agreement, I'll control you by external laws and rules. Under the new agreement, I'll lead you from the inside by my Holy Spirit. I know Moses said don't murder. I know Moses said murder is a bad thing and murder is a bad thing. But you know what? I know why people get to that point and we can deal with this way before you get there. So let's go back here and let's talk about some of the stuff of life. So you don't get to the edge of the cliff and you want to murder. I know Moses said don't commit adultery, and but but you can get right to the edge of the cliff. You can think things, you can play around in your thoughts and you can get right to the edge of the cliff. Just don't step off it. And Moses said it's okay, but I'm saying to you, you know what? It didn't start there, it started way back here. So I want to talk to you way back here about some of the stuff. Let's get into the heart. And let's begin to talk and do business and deal with. It. See, this is this is great over here. This is awesome. Because everyone knows the rules. And the other thing is too, we're kind of justified in our judgments a little bit, aren't we? Well, you did break one of the commandments. You did do the wrong thing. It's evident. We all saw it. We were there. I don't care about your reasons. I don't care about your reasons. You did it. We all know. Kill him! (laughs) But over here, over here, Very different, isn't it? Because I can't see your heart. But I wonder how often do we live here but we're still judging the performance of other people? Call yourself a Christian. You ever heard that? You call yourself a Christian. I saw you the other night and I reckon you had one beer too many. You're not a believer. I saw you really happy and joyful. You saw what movie? Woo! I just felt the Spirit of God go. We're not in the old. We're, we're in something brand spanking new. You know, the Barner Group, the George Barna Group, they do research, I'm about to close, they do research in the United States. Uh, they're a Christian group and they do research amongst churches and society and so on. They gather all their research and here's something that they discovered. This is going back to 2012 but I would dare say that we're getting more and more and more entrenched in this kind of mentality when I look around at the Western church. I I sound like I'm bagging the Western church. I'm not. I am the Western church. I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. (laughs) You know? Lord, heal us. Heal us, God. Open our eyes. Make us who we're meant to be. The Barna Group They found this in 2012. The Christians accepted the attitudes and beliefs of the Pharisees. That is the religious leaders depicted throughout the New Testament who opposed Jesus in his message, that they accept the attitudes and beliefs of the Pharisees more than they accepted the teachings of Jesus. Isn't that sad? Sometimes we can reflect more, like the, the, the sect of the Pharisees, Sometimes we reflect more the book that we read about called the Old Testament than what we do, what we read about called the New. Do we reflect the law and right and wrong and judgment or do we reflect compassion and grace and mercy in Jesus? Depends where you want to live. You can't live in the old and still reflect the grace of God because the boundaries are clear we feel like we're representing God, so we've got to represent and uphold those boundaries. (laughs) But we're called to be a movement that's a part of the new, not the old. Moses said, but I say. Jesus is saying there's a better way, people. I'm the focal point of this thing. And don't blend me with the other stuff because I didn't come to become a blended messiah. I'm a alone. And guess what? He's saying to all those people at the Sermon of the Man, is going, I want to tell you something. I trump Moses. Guess what? Jesus trumps Peter. Jesus trumps Paul. Jesus trumps Isaiah. Jesus trumps Ezekiel. Jesus trumps everything. Who do we reflect? Who do we listen to? Who do we get our cues from next week i want to show you in the book of acts 18 years after the birth after the death and the resurrection of jesus 18 years and some of his closest followers still are mixing the old and the new they still didn't get it so don't feel bad if you're struggling with some of this stuff those closest to him were struggling with it It took them a long time to break out of it if you go back and look at church history how much damage have we done because we thought this was all authoritative equal authority how do you think the crusades got up off the ground where Christians were holding swords not just at the throats of Muslims but at the throats of Jewish people too saying repent or we'll kill you where do you think they got the impetus for that where do you think they got the permission well they took some stuff under this thing called the old agreement and sold it to people and no one was smart enough to go hang on a second we've got a new agreement That was relevant back then. Maybe, Hey, we've got a new agreement. How do you think they got not only poor people, farmers, but how do you think they got wealthy landowners to take up a sword and run out on the battlefield? Well, they took stuff out of here and interpreted it to say, well, if you do this, then you'll make it into heaven. Where'd they get it from? Got it from here. How do you think most major cults have started Go back and look at history. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's not think that everything that's come out of this book has been beneficial for society. It has not. And going ahead into the future, unless we learn to separate the two and to build our foundation on Jesus and the new and get interested in looking at the new and becoming the new, then every single one of us could end up in the same place, dragging the old. Let me tell you something, I do know this: Jesus Christ was he was attractive wasn't he? People love to be around Jesus. And the weirdest thing is, the people that love to be around Jesus the most are the people who hate being in church the most. And I've got to scratch my head and go, Lord, what are we doing wrong? Why do prostitutes feel like they can't walk in the door of a church? Why does an LGBT person feel like they can't walk in the doors of a church? Why does a drug addict, an alcoholic, a homosexual, a lesbian, why do they feel like they would be so uncomfortable walking into the doors of the church? We can sit there and go, well, it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Do you think Jesus didn't have conviction on him? Yeah. Seriously? you think Jesus wasn't carrying the Spirit when these people flocked to be around him and be with him? There was something irresistible about the person of Jesus. And I want to say this, there's something irresistible about the movement that he started because in the first 30 years, boy, that, this movement spread. Boy, did it take on society. Boy, did it take on the world. There was something irresistible about the new. And we've got to fight and find it in our hearts to be people of the new agreement in every area and don't settle for a blended form of Christianity. I'll finish with this Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7 to 9. It says, For if that first covenant, This is the writer of the Hebrews, and he's writing specifically to people with a Jewish background. That's who he's, the whole book of Hebrews is focused. That's why there's so many references to the Old Testament, to priests, to tabernacles, to all that stuff, because he's writing to people who are really entrenched in Jewish culture. And he's trying to say to them, look, let's take some of that stuff, but I want you to see that it all pointed to a new, it all pointed to Jesus. And watch what he says. He says, if that first covenant, in other words, that first agreement between a nation and God, an agreement based on blessing and cursing, based on performance, if that agreement had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, God says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make what? A new. I'm going to make a new agreement between myself and man, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. Here we are. We keep coming back to this Passover moment, don't we? Because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them. He disregarded them because they didn't continue. They didn't do everything right. Hebrews 8, down to 12 and 13. Watch this. For I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Wow. In that he says a new covenant. He's made the first, what? Obsolete. Obsolete. The first is obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Who's ready to say, God, let the old in me vanish away? Who's ready to say, Lord, I want to be a part of that irresistible new. God, I don't want to be mixing the old milk I mean, the coffee's good, the water's good, the sugar was good, the spoon was clean, the cup was great, but the milk was old. God, I want the lumpy milk taken out of my life. I want the lumpy milk taken out of my eyes so I can see like a new covenant person. I want the lumpy milk taken out of my heart so I can feel and live like a new covenant person. I want my eyes opened up so I can see God in the light of the new agreement and stop looking at him in the light of the old where I'm fearful of judgment, never sure whether he loves me, don't know what's coming my way tiptoeing around god when can i live in the peace and the freedom of jesus if i still think like that you can't and if you don't live in it don't kid yourself your witness is futile because you've got nothing they're sitting there going i feel your pain and i don't even have god why would i step across the threshold into that jesus offered something brand new here's a challenge i want to throw this challenge your way you do not have to do it because you're adults and no one's going to judge you or tick you off. But here's the challenge. Here's what I want you to do. Between now and the end of this year, again, I'm not telling you you have to, I'm saying that to anyone listening, I'm not telling them what they have to do. <laughs> Between now and Christmas, why don't you determine to read the account of Matthew, the account of Mark, the account of Luke, and the account of John? When you're done, read the account of Matthew, the account of Mark, the account of Luke and the account of John. And if you get through them twice, then what I want you to do is read the account of Matthew, and the account of Mark, the account of... See, Jesus' words and this new agreement should be so rooted in us that everything else is looked at in light of the new. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. That was faulty. What you're hanging on to was faulty. Jesus did something new. Now let me lay the foundation of the new so you see the old in the light of the new. But the new is the real. So many of us still see the old as the real and we're trying to fit Jesus into the old. Jesus is the starting point of this movement. So everything else has to fit in to Christ. Does that make sense? So if you take the challenge, I reckon it'll, it'll begin to rewire you. Let's get into the words of Jesus Christ and the heart of Jesus and see how he treated people, not how a, a legalistic God with a particular relationship with a nation treated people. Let's look at how Jesus set the new agreement, the new covenant works. Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you so much for this new that we live in, God. It's really, really exciting that, Father, we don't have to... God, I, we, we will make mistakes and there's not a single chicken or goat, or turtle dove. That's of any value or use anymore because of the blood of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son on the cross. Thank you for the freedom and the liberty that you've come to give us, the peace that we find as we stand in the new agreement where you poured out upon us, where you took the initiative, where you said it's all on me, but it's for your benefit. Father, thank you so much for that, Lord. And I pray for each person here. God, each one of us, if we have that blending of old and new, I pray, would you begin to speak to us, Lord? Would you begin to draw us back to the new? God, I know it's hard, it's challenging, there's some stuff so entrenched in us. But when we look at Jesus, when we listen to Jesus, when we sit on the mountainside and we hear him preach, there's something so beautiful about that. And that's what we want. So, Father, speak to us, change us, mould us, get into our world. Lead us, guide us. And Father, I pray for the rest of this week, God, every person in this room right now, I pray in the name of Jesus, would you give every one of us a chance to tell somebody about you, somebody that doesn't know you yet, somebody that doesn't understand you yet, to tell them about the amazing, amazing grace of God and the amazing sacrifice of Jesus and what that means for them. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And uh, I've got to be honest, I'm impressed. I was expecting someone to grab a couple of stones out of there. But look, as we continue on this journey, I'm going to leave the stones there. So if there gets a point where you feel you need to have a crack, feel free. But um, apart from that, guys, have a fantastic week. We're going to hang around up the front. If there's anyone struggling with anything you might have some physical needs whatever uh, we'd love to pray for you this morning maybe you just want to deepen that relationship with God maybe you want to fall in love with Jesus all over again I don't know but we can hang around up the front for a little bit here and if anyone would like prayer please come forward we'd love to pray with you other than that guys have a fantastic week enjoy the rest of your father's day and uh, make sure you ring your father or you send an email to your father or you, you pray for your father or uh, whatever or if your your father's gone on to uh, to the other side of life gone on to be with the Lord then just reflect on the goodness of your dad but most of all. Remember the goodness of your heavenly Father. Bless you, God.